0: Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now, without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. And it is, and it is great to see you all here this morning. Uh, We are continuing on in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. And And we're working our way through what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So if you remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the narrative where where Jesus, he he gathers uh, his disciples, but he also draws this huge crowd with them, and he ends up on the side of this mountain, and he sits down, and he starts to preach to them. And uh, you think um, our preaching here might be long. Uh, This is a long sermon that Jesus gives uh, it's it's three chapters long, and we're kind of in the middle of it and so last week Pastor Rob uh, shared or, or gave an overview of a of a larger section um I think it's verses seventeen through forty eight so it was a it was a pretty large section and what we've decided is is now after he gave the overview of that section, what we're going to do in these uh, couple of weeks is kind of dial down into specific parts of this larger section, okay? So, so last week we gave the whole big overview, and now we're going to kind of dial in a little bit and speak specifically or preach specifically about some of these topics, because basically what Jesus is doing is just, he is hitting these topics one after another after another, and these are issues that they dealt with back then but we also deal with today. So when we read this, it's not like, oh, those people back then. You know, now we're okay with these things. Uh Uh-uh, this this applies for us today, maybe in different ways, but it does. It applies to us today. So we're gonna kinda dial down, and, and let me share this before I give the review as well. This section that we are dealing with, yes, exactly, this section that we're dealing with today uh, might cause you to cry out. Okay. Um, because this is a tough section. These are sobering words that Jesus is giving to these people. And, and this is the word of God. So, so we need to hear it as well. So let me encourage you in this way. I, I, I kind of reread my message and and uh, I hope this does not come off to you as me being judgmental, as me pointing the fingers out here, okay? So I'm going to say we a lot. I'm going to say us. I'm bringing us in. But I also want you to know that I see myself in this as well. This, this is what we have to deal with as humanity, okay? So I'm not just pointing out here, not just pointing out to the world. I'm, I'm, we're all in the same boat here. I included, we we're all in the same boat. so so, when you hear these words, I let me just share with you, or just say this first this this stepped on my toes first. this this cut to my heart first as I'm reading and studying through this and 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 I'm chewing on my nails. I'm like, ooh, this is a hard teaching. So, just, I want to prepare you for that. And it's funny because, uh, you know, afterwards we're going to celebrate. We, we launched 10 years ago as a church. And uh, so we're going to celebrate that. And it's something to be joyous about. And I'm like, man, this is a rough message to preach and then turn around and do that. But I think we can. I think we can because of the hope that we have in Christ that, that we are going to highlight. But, but this is going to be hard, it's going to be a little challenging. But. With that, let me begin by giving you a quick review of what we've covered so far. Again, this is a sermon that Jesus is giving, and it's a lengthy sermon, and it starts with Jesus giving us a picture of the righteous heart, let's say. What a righteous heart looks like. Or another way of saying it, and what we've, we've said in the past, how uh, this. Um, how the follower of the king, right? The follower of the promised king is to follow. This is how we are to, or the heart behind how we follow this promised king. And what he does is he gives them in a form of beatitudes, which means these blessings. And so he starts off with, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. And he continues on and he gives these blessings to this, these kinds of people where, where they have this kind of heart, the merciful, those who seek righteousness, the peacemakers. Okay, so he starts with that, giving a picture of what the heart of the Christ follower or the, the follower of the king looks like. And, and actually, it's the way in which we are to follow. This is the heart of the king. And so the, as, as the heart of the king, as, as this king moves and, and, and travels, we are to follow him in this way. So that's where it starts. And then, um, last week, Pastor Rob focused on a significant, a significant truth from Jesus that drives home why we must have our hearts aligned with the Beatitudes, okay? This is why we must have our hearts aligned or adjusted in a way of, of what these Beatitudes say. And this is really significant and it's, and it's big. So I'm going to read this whole section and highlight one aspect of it. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Let me read this to you. Jesus says, "'Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets,' I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus came to fulfill the law. He says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them or teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here it is. So I'm calling this the mic drop, right? You guys know what a mic drop is? Are y'all, y'all cool enough to know what a mic drop is? This is like, just like, whoa, no more needs to be said here, right? This is what he says. Verse 24, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is, wait, what? That, those crowds and, and his disciples that are sitting there, this, you know, if they were playing with dandelions on the side of the mountain, this is where they drop and they look up and they go, wait, what? Perk, ears should perk up. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now let's take a step back for a minute. Scribes and Pharisees. Who are these people? These are the religious leaders of the time. These the they are the gold standard of what it means or what it looks like to be righteous. Okay, so if you think about it today, it could be uh, think think of um, the Pope, or or cardinals or bishops, where you know they have the robes and and their hands are folded and the that the, the um, ambiance of, of the church and they're walking and there's incense and there's this, and, and you look at that picture, like, Ooh, the, these, these men, these people, these bishops, and they, they are a step above. You, you might think that probably not around here. You might think that of pastors. You're like, Ooh, a pastor. Uh-uh. So, so the point is, is he's, he's saying, Hey, listen, Unless your righteousness, how you perceive them and all their righteousness, unless you exceed that, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, these Pharisees and scribes back in the day, you know what? They were so intense. They would, they would write laws in order to keep, help them keep the laws. They were like OCD when it comes to law keeping, okay? They, they were intense. So, so think of it in that sense, like these, they are the best of the best when it comes to law keeping, okay? They're like the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets, when it comes to law keeping. You're like, whoa, Jesus says, uh-uh, your righteousness must succeed that. Boom, drive, uh, mic drop right there. Crowds are like, what? And this brings us to the text that we're covering today. Verses 21 through 30, that's what we're going to cover. This is, Jesus is giving examples here, and he's going to continue on throughout this chapter. These are examples of how lofty the standards are when it comes to keeping the law. He says, oh, you think this is the standard? mm let me tell you. Okay, that's what he's doing here. Another way of looking at it, and I think maybe this is a more accurate way to look at it, is that Jesus is going deeper with the law because he's going beyond mere action or implementation, acting it out. What Jesus is doing is diving down deep into the very heart of every man and woman and child. Basically, what he's saying here is it's not the matter of its action, of the actions, it's the matter of the heart. It's not just about the actions the matter of the heart. And that's what he's drawing out here. And so here's the main idea that I want you guys to to grab. And that is the spirit of the law requires one to take swift and extreme measures to avoid the judgment of God. This is what he's going to unpack for us. The spirit of the law requires one to take swift and extreme measures to avoid the judgment of of God So let me read this for you. You can follow along. Uh, in honor of the word, let us stand together as I read this. Matthew chapter five verses 21 through 30. You have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart." If your, eye, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The word of the Lord, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and this is, this is some tough teaching. This is, uh, Jesus is coming at it strong. Lord, I pray that we have ears to hear. I pray that we would, we would listen to the Spirit, and where we need to be convicted, we're convicted. And where we need to lean into you, we lean into you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so before we dive into the text, I want to show you the pattern that's taking place here that basically continues on throughout this chapter. Uh, The pattern kind of starts with an introduction where Jesus says, you have heard it said, right? You have heard it said. So he's going back to the Old Testament. He's going back to the law, which why, by the way, who fulfills the law? Who came to fulfill the law? It was him it was Jesus. I've come to fulfill the law. And so here it is. Here's the law. You have heard it said of old. So he's going to continue this pattern. We're going to see it twice in our section. He's going to say this twice. You have heard it said. He's going to go back to the 10 commandments. He's going to give the 10 commandments. And then he's going to say, but I say to you, wait, wait a minute. What, Jesus? You have heard it said of old. This is the law. This is the law of God. This is what God gave to Moses. What do you mean you say now? Like there's, there's something more and you're going to say it, but I say to you, what? How can, that's audacious. Who are you? That you would talk like this, that you'd speak like this, that you would teach like this. You know, later at the end of the sermon, the very end in chapter seven, it says, after he said these things, the crowds came away astonished because they've never heard anyone else teach like this before. Never from the scribes or the Pharisees had they ever heard anyone teach like this, basically with this kind of authority. See, in speaking this way, Jesus is saying, I have authority over the law. Why? Because we know that Jesus was the giver of the law. He was the giver of the law. So he has authority over it. And he's not changing the law. And again, Jesus is not abolishing the law. He's actually fulfilling it. And he's also pointing deeper to it. He's unpacking it. And as he does so, he's actually getting to our hearts. So that's the pattern that we're seeing here. You have heard it said, but I say to you, which points to his authority and then what he does is give a response. He's calling for a response. Because of this, you are to do this or so do this or therefore do this. That's that's the pattern that we're going to see throughout this chapter. This is this, so I've broken the sound into two sections. We're going to see we're going to see two points and we're going to see two responses. Okay? So, the first point Number 1, a murderous heart, a murderous heart results in severe judgment. This comes from verses 21 and 22. He says, "You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool," will be liable to the hell of fire. So basically what he's doing here is is he's, he's equating murder with something that's within our heart, anger, and also how this anger specifically gets expressed. Because it's not out of actually physically abusing someone, right? This anger, it could come out that way, right? Murder. But he's saying, no, no, no. This anger in your heart can be expressed in various ways, specifically through your words. Words cut deep, don't they? They can. I think the Book of James talks about this. This this tongue that we have, that can that can curse our fellow brothers and sisters, or bless our brothers and sisters. It is. It is powerful. It is like a rudder on the ship. That, I mean, it is, it is powerful. And this is what Jesus is pointing out for us. So let's let's look at this for a minute here. Let's let's look at murder and, and kind of unpack of, of what he's talking about here because this, this command to do not murder goes way back into Genesis. All right. So remember it was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating fruit, right? They rebelled against God. What's the next rebellious action that we see? Murder. Okay. And it doesn't take long, does it? It's, it's the kids of Adam and Eve. So in two generations, we get from eating a piece of fruit, which was rebellion against God, and then murder. Okay. We, we, we went extreme here when it comes to the evil intent of the heart of men and women. Um. And so what happens is, is it, it continues on, right? Genesis continues on to the point or to the extent where finally it gets to where God says, the intentions of the heart of man is evil all the time. Therefore, I'm going to do a reset. I am starting over. And he starts over with the flood. And after, and, and, and he actually, in his mercy and grace, he protects and saves a family, the family of Moses, right? Or, yeah, of um, Noah, okay? Saves Noah's family. And then after he resets everything, right? And everything's made, washed away. Everything starts over. It's like he goes back to Genesis chapter one again, where he gives this command. He says this in, cha- in chapter one. Now he's saying it again. Hey, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, Okay, so he's, we're starting over, starting back to square one. Here's my command that I said before. Be fruitful, be mul- multiply and fill there. And then he gives another command. Oh, and by the way, don't kill each other. <laughs> don't murder. This is how he says it. And specifically, I'll give you the literal. This is Genesis 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds, sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. So he gives this command or he gives this understanding of, hey, listen, this is how serious murder is. If you're going to shed blood, your blood will be required of you as well. There will be judgment. Why? Why is this so serious? Why is killing your fellow brother or sister so serious? For God made man in his own image. See, it again goes back to Genesis chapter one where God creates Adam and Eve, man and woman. And he says this, I have made them, both man and woman, in our own image. In God's own image, he created man and woman. And this is an important truth. God has given us, gives us the reason Um, Very early on, he gives us the reason for the sanctity of human life. And it's because we are made in God's image and we should not destroy or murder what is sacred. Human life is sacred. Why? Because God created it in his image. He set it apart. We are created uh, differently or we have a intrinsic value within us that is separate or unlike all of other creation that we know of. And it's, and it's the fact that we are made in his image. Okay, but here's the thing. So that's, that's why murder come, um, comes judgment, right? And we see that in the first two verses of, of our passage where he is driving home in, in, in uh, very strong language, whoever murders liable to judgment. But look what Jesus does in verse 22. Because what he's talking about here is it's not just destroying or murdering, but it's also desecrating or defaming what is sacred. This is what he's getting to here. Verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, everyone who is angry at his brother will be liable to judgment. So here we go. Jesus Jesus just set the standard for righteousness at an all new height. Here was the bar. We're like, okay, that's a pretty high bar. But I mean, I don't think anybody's murdered anyone lately. I think I'm doing good. Uh Uh-uh, He sets the bar even higher. And it makes sense that judgment comes upon everyone who is angry or insults or degrades their fellow brother because we are all made in the image of God. We are sacred in the eyes of God and we must see one another as sacred as well. We are sacred, each one of us made in the image of God, so we are sacred, so so we should see each other how God has created us, what we truly are, made in the image of God. And so that's the question that we have this morning. Do we see people, do we see our friends, our family, our coworkers, and even strangers, people that we don't know, Do we see them as image bearers of God? Do we see them as sacred? And you know what? Jesus is saying if there's anger, and if that anger is expressed in insults or defaming, some type of defaming speech, and it it tends to pour forth into our mouths, I think the answer is No. We're not seeing them as God has called us to see them. And Jesus is clear. Anger, hate, insults all fall under the judgment of God. And if that is the case, we, we are in trouble. We, we are in danger. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15 says it in this way. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. I mean, John spells this out. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This sounds pretty familiar, right? Sounds a lot like our passage that we're looking at today. It's almost as like maybe John was there, right? John was there. He was one of the disciples that sat at Jesus's feet and that was listening to this message. I think John understood it, right? He's breaking it down for us here in his letter. So let's look at how we can, how how this often uh, plays a part in our lives today. Let's look at how, how we can be challenged by this, how we can struggle with anger and, and the words that we share and the words that we speak and I'm going to look at it in different, to, at two different angles. One, it's a, maybe a little bit easier for us because we look out there. <laughs> but I think it applies where when it comes to our culture today, when it comes to the world, because it, you, you can't just point out that it's, that it's local. I mean, this, this is spread throughout our world because of the technology that we have today, that it's, it's universal. And when it comes to the media that we are exposed to, whether it's turning on the TV or turning on the computer and getting on the internet, or turning on, you know, looking at our phones or whatever, we have this. Um, what what is what is being um, given to us or displayed to us is a cultivation of a spirit of anger and indignation and resentment and bitterness that infects our hearts and our minds. I think we see a lot of that out there within the media where they, they speak in a way and use words in a way. It's not necessarily what they say, but also how they say it, where they, they tend to put people in boxes, tend to label people in such a way where it makes it easy for us, it makes it easy for me to look at them and go, oh, and write them off. And to say things in a way where in my heart what it's telling is that I'm not, tr- I'm not speaking as if they are image bearers of God. And this is very easy for us because, because that, is, that um, our culture is using that um, because it's so enticing and it brings us in and it makes us crazy, and then we want to watch more. And so, and so this, is, this is a money-making machine that is taking place where they've cultivated this, this um, spirit of anger and indignation and resentment and bitterness, and it makes money. And so they say, this is, this is how we bring them in, this is how we bring them in, and we're drawn to that so there's a danger here. The interesting thing is we do this a lot and, and, and we put people in labels and, and we say things about people that we don't even know, right? Like this kind of spurs on this, uh, you know, where where these, um, where these the media is, and, then, and they throw them, they go, look at what this person said, and they'll throw them up on a video, and you'll see a little text, or a little quote of theirs, and then they shut it off, and then see how terrible that is? Look how, th- and you're like, yeah, right? So here's the thing, you're like, okay, that's that's kind of, that's not good, right? But see, what happens is, is it, it it reaches in our hearts, and it and it forms our hearts into a way where I think that kind of thinking, although is out there and with people that we don't even know, actually filtrates into, I think, with people that we do know. So it's forming our hearts where it's a little bit easier to get angry and to have resentment. It just forms us in a way where, where when we're engaged with one another, it's a lot easier to... The, the patience gets a little bit less, right? And so here's the thing. See, it, it doesn't stop there with, with out there. It's, it's easy to turn off your TV. It's easy to shut off the computer or, or turn off your phone and put it away. But it's worse than that. We can unplug those things, but here's the thing. Seeds of bitterness can easily take root and sprout up and do tremendous damage within our relationships that we have here, whether it's in family, whether it's at work, or even in the church. Even in our own body, right? It's very easy for anger and bitterness and resentment to, to lay seeds within our hearts. And if they're not dealt with, sprout up take root and grow and not bear good fruit, but bear bad fruit. So this is a, this is an issue that we, we need to contemplate. We need to think about. So as we hear these words, we must take them to heart and we must take them seriously because we see from these verses that eternity is at stake right? All these things that Jesus is talking about here in this verse about murder, but also anger and insult. He's saying, hey, listen, this leads to judgment. He even says this leads to the hell of fire. Okay, so this is, this is not, uh, we should not take this lightly. So he's setting a high standard and the consequences are great when we fall short. Therefore, what he's going to do is give us a response that must reflect the seriousness of this issue. Okay. So this is a serious issue. There's serious consequences. So we must take serious action. What is that? All right. This brings us to verse 23 through 26. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift and come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest you your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you put and you be put in prison verse 26 truly i say to you you will never get out until you have paid the last penny basically this he's saying this there's there's some commands in here and i don't know if they were underlined in passage, but here's what he's saying. Leave your gift at the altar before, uh, before the altar and go. Go. Leave your gift. Go and be reconciled. Basically saying, hey, uh, you know, worship and giving a gift to God. This is, that's, that's like the highest priority. That's huge. That's important. Drop it. Drop it. Go. Go be reconciled. Again, he says in verse 25, come to terms quickly. That's the key word there, quickly. And so this is an image, and I don't know if we can really capture this as, uh, as uh, in, in this age, but then he's, he's talking about somebody that's taking you to court, and, and he's taking you to the judge, okay? So on the way of taking you to the judge, boy, you have a small window. Small window, it's not the most ideal window. You're talking, you know, you're, you're walking, you're, you're heading over there. You don't have a lot of time. Uh, take advantage. Take advantage of it quick because it's better to, to seek um, forgiveness or make things right, right then and there before you get to that judge. Because once you get before the judge, that is it. You are going to be judged and you're going to be judged rightly, justly. It's not going to be like, ah, you know what? We're just going to, we're going to let this one pass. Uh Uh-uh, not our judge. He is the perfect judge, the holy judge. He will judge lightly or rightly. He will judge rightly. And so, boy, you better make amends quick. And so that's what he's saying here. It's take swift and immediate action lest you be judged. So um, an illustration of this is, uh, I don't have many illustrations. I should probably should skip this because of time, but because I don't have many. I want to share this one with you. So it's almost like getting a cut or, or something on your hand and it becomes infected, right? You, you, you want to treat a cut pretty quick, right, before that. And I remember I had this cut on my thumb. I didn't think it was a big deal. It was actually like uh, a hangnail or something, and uh, this is when I was working at UPS. So I always wore gloves at UPS. And you know how nasty that gets when you wear gloves. It starts to sweat, and you don't wash them for a long time. So I'll, I get this infection in my thumb, and it gets so bad that I have to keep my thumb over my head, because anytime I drop it down, it started to throb. Like, and it was getting bigger and bigger. I'm like, this, this does not. This is not good. This is not good. I can't go around like this forever. It was a Sunday, and and I and none of the walking clinics were open, so I had to go to the emergency room. But I I had to go, like I was in such pain. I get there and they get me right in, and he looks at me, he's like, "Oh yeah, it's infected, and we're gonna have to lance this thing and get it all out, right?" And holy cow, it was some of the most painful. It was so painful. So he. One, I'm, I, I love kind of the, the grossness of it. So I was watching at first, you know, and, and it was impressive. Um, and, but then he, then he looks at me after a while and he goes, I have to get it all out. And I'm like, okay. He's like, it's going to hurt. Okay. And whoo, boy, he squeezed down my thumb. Here's the point, though. Here's the point. He said, you know what? You were lucky that you came in when you did, because if you let it go any longer, it would have required surgery because it would have gotten under some, some things and, or you could have lost your thumb. It's like, ooh, this was serious. Maybe I should have taken care of this sooner. And that's my point. That's, that's Jesus' point. Hey, there's, if, if there is a dysfunction or if there's an issue between you and your brother, get it taken care of quickly, because it can go to some dangerous places. It can mean judgment. So that's what Jesus is talking about. And so what Jesus is doing here is threefold. Number one is that he is establishing his authority over truth. We already talked about that with, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Okay? So he is greater than Moses, and he's greater than prophets from the Old Testament. Number two, what he's doing is he's raising the standard of the law and basically revealing the spirit of the law, which burns away any false notion of self-righteousness. Right? We can walk around and be like, you know, I'm pretty good. Jesus is saying, uh-uh, no, you're not. He sets the standard so high where we're like, yeah, you're right. So that's number two. Number three, Jesus unpacks how the beatitudes, um, how they are expressed in the life of the follower of the king. Okay, so this is another thing that he's doing, is actually as he's talking about murder and talking about anger, he's actually pointing back to the beatitudes and he's calling us to something there, specifically, I think, in verse nine where he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Ah, here it is. He's going back to the beatitudes. What kind of heart are we to have as we follow the king into his kingdom? We are supposed to have a heart of peacemaking. We are to be peacemakers. So the question is for us, how does that look? How does that look in our lives? To be, to be peacemakers, to get up in the morning and say, you know what, this morning, I am going to be a peacemaker wherever I go, whatever I do, whoever I interact with, I am going to be a peacemaker. Whether it's family, whether it's loved ones, whether it's your enemy. How are you going to be a peacemaker? You know what? That might look different for each one of us, but that's the huge question. Write it down. Remember it. What does it look like for you to be a peacemaker? All right, so this is Jesus' first example. I took, a, I spent a lot of time on this. Because I, I think this is, friends, I think this is really important for us today. W- whether, it's, whether it's interacting with the world or engaging with the body, with the church body, this is huge. This is huge. Okay, so that's Jesus' first example where he sets the standard high. Here's the next one. Verses 27 through 30, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her and his heart. And so this is point two. Point two is an adulterous heart results in severe judgment. An adulterous heart results in severe judgment. So again, we see this pattern of Jesus saying, you have heard, but I say, and so here Jesus is going back again to the 10 commandments and specifically the command against adultery and he raises the standard and he goes deeper again. It is the matter of the heart that he's getting to. And it's interesting that Jesus describes this as a lustful intent, right? That, that anyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent will be, um, has already committed adultery. And so here's the thing. We, um, I think today this is one of the greatest pitfalls again. <laughs> it's one of the greatest pitfalls and the greatest dangers, and I think it's for both men and women. Even though we, we like to focus on the men, I think it's for both uh, this passage focuses on men, but here's the thing: our culture today, I would say, I would I would uh, label it as hypersexualized. It is constantly promoting uh, this hypersexualized um, spirit wherever we wherever we go. I mean, driving down the highway, you have to be careful where you look on billboards. Right? Even even driving down the highway, let alone when you turn on the TV or turn on your computer or your phone, it is all around us, and and it's used kind of in the same way when we were talking about anger and strife and conflict. It's used in a, in a similar way because we know that it we know as a society as a as the the world knows this that it tugs at our hearts that it tempts us. So it uses it to to sell things to us. Right to grab our attention, and so this looks different though when, when we think of it with between men and women. We we are created a little differently in some ways. We are all made under the image in the image of God. So so we were equal. We we have um, equal value, but we are created a little bit differently. We are wired differently. So for for men it's more visual, but for women it's more relational. And we kind of see this played out in our society of, of how we sell things to men. And we put up beautiful images of women scantily clad to sell for women. It's, it's more about the relationship. So uh, don't let me, uh, I'm gonna step on a, some toes, but listen, I, I don't know much. <laughs> I'm naive in some of these things, but one of the ways that I, that I think of this is, well, one, I mean, pornography and it's a billion-dollar industry. So, so we know that it's rampant. However, I think also maybe when it comes to like romance novels, I, it's been a while since I've read one, okay? But, but, but I think that there is something there that entices this, this kind of relationship, this um, ideal of relationship that grabs the heart of people, and specifically women, into what a relationship with a man and, and it and it and it cultivates dissatisfaction because boy, I mean long hair, like the I can't I can't compete right, fall fall quite a bit short in some ways and and how I engage and and so um, I think it comes at us in different ways but I think I think it's prevalent in our world and so our world has turned lust into a lucrative business. And Jesus calls us to take extreme measures to battle against it. So how does he do this? Well, look at verses 29 through 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go in to hell. So what is he saying here? Again, it's to take extreme measures, to cut it out of your life, to throw it away, to get it out. Okay, now, uh, you know that there's some um, religious people, some Christians from old, in fact, this old church father from I think like the second century, uh, named Origen, maybe third century, uh, who took this a little too literal, um, he, he went to extremes when it came to temptation and, and cutting. And, and so uh, we're not going, that's, that's not what Jesus means here. It's not literally gouge out your eye or to cut off your hand. But what he's saying here is the things that you see as the most important things in your life, if they are causing you to fall into sin, specifically lustful intent, get it out. Get it out. What you deem or what you think is what you need in your life and what you think is so important, get it out. Because it's far better to get rid of those things than to go to hell. To be judged and go to hell. Let it go. Struggle. Be uncomfortable in this world because it's better to be uncomfortable and to struggle in this world than to face the wrath of God. That is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying it strongly. So this is serious. He sets the bar high and the consequences are great. And our response needs to be extreme, immediate. That's what's going on here. Okay. Um, we're going to skip a few things. Um, did we get to the response to take extreme measures to cut it out of your life, right? That's what we're, we're meaning here. All right, so let me close in this way. This is a hard teaching. This is, this is not easy to hear. Jesus has set the standard high. And I think he's doing this for a purpose. And he's going to continue on, by the way. So I want you guys to come back. I want you guys to come back and continue through this. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to be uncomfortable. And he's doing it for a reason. Because, you know what, do I have a pen here? I, I liked how I, in, in, um, in the Sunday school class, this is what I did where, where it's, I can use a bottle where, thanks, thanks. This, this is less... Uh, But but you know you 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 hear the standard and you go that's like no way. Right? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he starts unpacking this, you're like, that's it? What am I to do then? What am I to do? Remember what Jesus said? I have not come. To abolish the law i have come to fulfill it what you are unable to do i can do i have done it we know that he has done it right he has done it on the cross so he has died for our sins and our and our sins are covered by his blood He has made us righteous, not because it's our righteousness, right? Our own righteousness. It is his righteousness that covers us. So we have exceeded the bar, not by our own righteousness, but his. And so here's here's the understanding. That is the truth. That is the promise that is given. But more than that, as we put our faith in Christ, you know what he also does? He does a work within us to change our heart. So it's this aspect of, you know what? Yes, I drop my pen, I give up. I'm like, I'm done. Or I am undone. You know what that's a picture of? When we get to that point where we look at that righteousness and that standard and say, I am undone. Let's go back to the Beatitudes. The first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor In spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says that phrase, poor in spirit. What does poor in spirit look like? God, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer. My own righteousness does not measure up. It it is a stench. It is it is nothing. I have nothing to offer. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There it is. It's coming to the cross on our knees with nothing, with our sin, with with our dirt, with with our nastiness, all of it. We come before him with all of it and say, Lord, I I am nothing. I am a sinner. I need you. This is what Jesus is trying to bring us to. As we read through this and as we continue to read through this uh, in these next Sunday mornings, that's what he's bringing us to, to our knees, poor in spirit, before the cross. So, friends, here's the question Where do we need to put away anger? Where do we need pers- to pursue peace? What are the extreme measures? that we need to do in order to combat an adulterous heart? Where are those ways that we need to fall short? Let me ask you this. When, as, as you think through that, right? And God starts bringing things to light. May we not be discouraged. We, may we not fall into despondence and be swallowed up in guilt and shame. But we, may we come to the Lord poor in spirit by confessing and giving our sin to him and then turning and following Jesus into his kingdom by make by reconciliation right by reconciliation and killing sin within us cutting out those things cutting out those things that tempt us let us move in that direction let us follow our king in that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we can gather, that we can be challenged by your word. And I pray, Lord, throughout this week, that these passages will keep coming to mind, Um, that they would be a mirror to our hearts and our souls, Lord, and that it would expose us for our need for you, Lord, because we are in great need of you. May it drive us to our knees and bring us to the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.